Uh, today is December 31st, 2017, the last day of 2017, if the Lord does not come back for His church and rapture us, uh, tomorrow 2018 begins uh, for me and you. And that is exciting. Um, it's another day that the Lord has been faithful to us. Another, uh, we can look back at 2017 and realize how, how faithful God has been um, and how good He's been to us this year. And 2017 is, is coming to a close. Today is the last day. And one thing that you cannot do is you cannot change the past. Uh, you cannot fix anything uh, done in 2017. You cannot fix your wrongs or the sins that you've committed. It's the past. They have a, uh, an effect that lasts forever, but you cannot change them. Uh, 2017 is lost to human changing. But it's God's desire for you that you would reflect on 2017. That you would choose to spend time with Him, praising and glorifying Him of who He has been and what He's done for you this past year. And that's a good thing to do, is to reflect. Uh, that's what is what communion is for, and that's why here at Tower Chapel we beginning beginnings of one day, we do it once a month. Uh, communion uh, should cause you, before you take communion, to reflect uh, on your relationship with the Lord. That you would choose to reflect um, on, on where you have not been abiding faithfully and walking with the Lord as you should, and for you to take the elements properly, um, uh, purely, um, before the Lord. Um, it's good to reassess this past year, and if you would do that today, you will find that it will be uh, a, a great help to your Christian walk, that you would re reassess this year, 2017, and take it before the Lord. And once you do that, uh, you are not called to look back. Once you reassess and you look back at 2017 and examine it before the Lord, uh, that should be uh, the last time you do it. Uh, the Lord encourages us that we would leave things behind and move forward. And so for us today, we want to move forward, uh, especially as we move, as we finish 2017, we want to move forward uh, today. Uh, today is the day that we want to move forward. Um, but there are unrealistic goals for the new year, um, because you hear things like uh, new year, new me, uh, there's people that say New Year, it's a new time, new things to do. A new year, a new life. Uh, you hear, it's a, it's a new year. And sometimes believers will say it's a new year and I will dedicate this year to the Lord. Or others say it's a new year and it means new commitment to the Lord. And many people realize that New Year resolutions do not last long. Um, because New Year's re resolutions have a huge problem. They're not in the Bible. Um, but what does the Bible say? The Bible is very clear that the, it is not a year that you can dedicate or commit to the Lord because that is not how God designed us to work. Uh, in Psalm 912, uh, it gives us direction on how we should uh, look at our whole life. And not looking at a year, not looking uh, um, um, at years, but looking at our whole life uh, as God has allotted to each one of us a certain period of time that we will live on this earth. And in Psalm 90 verse 12 it says, well, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so God does not ask you to look forward to a year, but he, looks, he asks you to number your days and realize that your days are numbered. And that in that you will have wisdom. The Bible says to worry about today, if you do worry. Matthew 6, verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It also says in the Bible, Do not be concerned with tomorrow, 
In James 4, 13-14, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow you will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. According to the Bible, you should not be concerned about the year, but you should be concerned about the day. According to the Bible, you should prioritize today, for you are not guaranteed a year. You are not even guaranteed tomorrow. According to the Bible, you should move forward by determining how you will live your life today. Because the Bible gives direction to the believer on how they should live their life today, because Jesus is coming soon. And we can look back at 2017 and say a year has passed, and that means we are one day closer. We can say one year closer, and now one day closer to Jesus coming back uh, for His church, rapturing His church, and setting uh, in place uh, the, um, the seven years of tribulation, and then His kingdom age, and then the new heavens and new earth after those thousand years. And so we can look forward to that day and we realize that we are a day closer and the hours and the minutes and the seconds as you hear the clock going you are running out of time and so how should the believer live this is our primary objective this morning that we would as believers be instructed on how we should live our lives because we are running out of time we are running out of time because us as humans are uh, under time. God is outside of time and His plan is set. His timetable is complete. But us as humans who live in time, we are running out of time. And so how should we live as believers uh, running out of time? And so we turn to the, the book that we are studying and the chapter that we are studying. And that is Second Peter chapter 3. And Peter will exhort us on how we should live our lives in these last days. Now he doesn't say in these last years. He says in these last days. It is very clear. In the word. That God has uh, planned for us to live lives according to days. We will see that as we go further in the verses. And so 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So Peter gives the reason why he writes these two epistles. He writes these epistles, which are letters, as a reminder for the believer. And then he says in verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the Holy Prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So Peter tells them how he wants them to be reminded. That they would be mindful of the scriptures. That they would be mindful about the word of God. That they would be mindful about what God has said. Mindful uh, of the word of God. And when you are mindful about something uh, that the Lord has given, it becomes your binding power to keep you in God's will. And so to be mindful about the scriptures and in the scriptures, and to be mindful of everything of the scriptures, um, is should be your greatest priority in your Christian life. And it says in verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
So Peter says the first thing to know is that in the last days there will be scoffers. Scoffers are simply mockers. And when are the last days? Uh, Pastor Tony continues to remind us that we are living in the last days. According to the scriptures, according to Bible prophecy, and according to everything that is going on in the world today, we are living in the last days. There is no prophecy yet to be fulfilled for Jesus to return. And many unbelievers fear that when it's shared to them that Jesus could come back at any moment and or they will die at any moment and be judged, it causes fear. But for the believer, it, could, it should cause comfort and excitement that there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back, rapture his church, set up the great tribulation, and one day set up his kingdom seven years after that. And what do they do? The Bible reveals to us that scoffers will mock the Lord by mocking His Word, by mocking the promise that Jesus is coming soon. They will mock God's Word and the promises that are set, such as that God will judge the earth and that God wants to redeem mankind, and the way you do that is by repenting and believing on the Lord. But mockers choose to reject the truth. Peter says they willfully forget the truth. It says in verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Scoffers willfully forget. It's not that they do not know, or it's not that they uh, uh, were never told. It's that they willfully forget the truth. The truth, they determine what they will remember, and they determine what they will forget. Uh, they do not will, they're not uh, uh, unknowing or ignorant towards these things. They willfully forget these things. And there's so many scoffers and mockers today in our day and age, in the people that we know and the people that we meet. They willfully forget and they willfully reject the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. They willfully reject that God will judge this earth. And they choose to do this and they choose to think this way. And as I and it says uh, in, ver, in verse five and six, as we just read, what do they willfully forget? They forget the truth of what has happened in the past. They choose to forget that that God created the heavens, that He sustains the heavens, that everything on this earth and everything in the universe is sustained and held by God, and they choose to reject and forget that the world that was before that existed perished by the flood. And so they reject this truth. Peter mentions the flood. Why does he mention the flood? When we look at the Word of God, and, and as we look at the Day of Judgment, which is yet to come, and when we look at the flood, which has already been, had come, Peter mentions the flood because there are similarities because, with the Day of the Lord, the judgment of God that is to come, and then the judgment that God did bring in the flood. The flood was a, 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 an event that happened because man rejected the Lord. And they were so wicked before the Lord. Uh, they, they chose to, to, to live a life extremely contrary to the word of God. That they were so wicked that, that they, they had no hearts that wanted to repent. And so God judged the people uh, on the earth during this time. And Jesus said that as in those days of the flood and before the flood in Noah's time, so will the last days be. 
And so as good Bible students, we should read the Word and learn how people lived and dwelt during the time of Noah because it gives us understanding on how people will live during these days. And it, it, it applies the same as Jesus said to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah will resemble today. And when we look at the days of Noah, they do resemble today. And in Matthew 24, verse 36, it gives us understanding. But of that day... An hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of, the, of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know, until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so the scriptures reveal to us, Jesus tells us that in the last days, it will be like the days of Noah. Now Jesus says they were eating, they were drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. It means that they were simply living life as if no judgment is coming. They were living in the normality, the regularity, business as usual, casually living this life, willfully forgetting that God will judge because he is a just God. And there is judgment coming, but as in the days of Noah, so will they these days be, in that people who live their lives as if God is not even there, or that God will not judge their sin. And so this is important to Peter. It's important to Peter because he recognizes that and as other apostles and disciples have exhorted us through the word of God, that the only way us as believers can have a, a greater passion for the Lord is if we know what days we're living in. And in addition to that, that we would know that Jesus is returning and we are running out of time. Then it says in verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So when the flood came, all of mankind was destroyed except Noah, his wife, his daughter, his sons, and their wives. Though only eight people survived the flood, and then they repopulated, and we are the descendants of Noah, his sons, and the family. And God preserved the earth because he loved mankind so much that he did not destroy everyone. He saved Noah and his family. And we know this for a fact that, that God would have never destroyed the earth because who would have paid for the sins of Abel, Adam and Eve, Enoch, and all the godly people who lived before the flood. Someone had to pay uh, for their sins. Someone had to atone for their sins. And so we know that God... Um, by, by, the, by his nature, by his attributes, he was going to preserve the world. But he was going to reserve it for judgment one day. And that's set in stone. God had, had already planned this all out before you and I were ever created. Before Adam and Eve were ever created, that there would be a day that he reserved, that he would destroy the earth and the heavens because of sin. So he preserves the earth today. It is only how in the universe because God is holding it there. But he is reserving the day when God will destroy the earth. And so when you, when you live your life understanding that God will destroy this earth, it frames your perspective that you will no longer put your treasures on this earth, but that you will put your treasures in heaven. 
Do you think that, that, that your greatest goal here should be to, to buy a home, to, to work hard and make enough money for your kids to go to college and you're so consumed with money and greed and making it in the American dream here, it's a stupid decision because this earth is going to be destroyed. Live to please the Lord and He will provide for all your needs. But recognize that He has reserved this earth for utter destruction and He will judge it and destroy it completely. And so in verse 8, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter now tells us to not forget this one thing, to not be ignorant of this one thing. And what is that? As he says that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So we understand an attribute of God, we understand a quality of God uh, that maybe you've never known before, and that God lives outside of time. There is no time with God. Only humans live under time. If you can think of time as a uh, as a um, as an object. Uh, Think of, of time as, as something that you can hold. It's just a small And picture that little, that little ball as, as earth. That's time. And it has a beginning and an end. And us as humans dwell within that object as time. But one day time will be complete. One day time will be no more. And when you understand that God is outside of time, that he... That, that he created time, and time itself is an object that He has made for us to dwell in, that it has a beginning and an end, that all of God's purposes and plans have a beginning and an end, that everything that God does for humans is absolutely fixed in time, and that time um, is totally made and built and, and, and made structured by the Lord, it should bring comfort to you. Because Peter, in his first letter, which is First Peter, he told a suffering group of Christians. Remember that, that each suffering, your suffering has a time and it has a purpose. It will end, but what will be produced is faith. And when we look at Second Peter, the second letter of Peter, Peter wants to exhort these believers that God has a time set. His timetable is complete. God knows the day, He knows the hour, and He knows uh, the minute and the second when He will come back, rapture His church, start the seven year tribulation, come back, have war against the people that want to have war against God, set up His thousand year kingdom, let Satan be released, gather another group of people, have war against God, and then God will finally set up His eternal kingdom, destroying the heaven, destroying the earth, and making a new heavens, new earth, a new Jerusalem, and forever um, being in that perfect and holy uh, a world with God, apart from time. He has his whole timetable set, and it's determined by the, the day, determined by the second. He knows when it will be fulfilled. And that's why it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Another way of saying it is the Lord is not tardy concerning what he has said. We do not have a tardy God. We do not have someone that arrives late. Our God does not uh, uh, arrive late at any time. And so if you're suffering today, 
and you feel that God has not come to comfort you, um, there is no such thing as God arriving too late. His timetable is set and fixed, and it has been set and fixed before you were even created. Everything that happens in this life is, has already been known by the Lord, and I take great comfort in that, and I hope you do too. And so the question that we get from verse 9, as it says, is God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is God waiting for more people to repent? Uh, that's a misconception that people have, that, that God is like a human where He's waiting. Waiting involves this, this lack of future knowledge, but God knows absolutely everything. And, and so in that regard, when we look at God as a timeless individual who created time, God is not waiting as we wait. God is not uh, 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 not not waiting there like like we would like. Oh my goodness! I I wish this can happen, but I don't know if it's going to happen. God knows every detail about all of time, and He knows every detail about all people from beginning to end. And so God doesn't think this way. God knows who, who will be the last person that repents. He knows them by name. He knows. Everything about them, he knows their beginning and the end, and how they fulfill God's purpose. The Bible says that there is a fullness of the Gentiles, meaning that the last Gentile that's saved, that's when God raptures the church. Who is that? We do not know, but God knows. And he knows the second, that he comes to repentance. And so in that regard, I hope you get a better understanding. God is outside of time. He built time. You live in time. And so as a human, you are running out of time because God's end is coming very shortly. And so what is Peter's message to the believers? Peter has a special message for us today. And it says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will mount with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. So we learn that Jesus will come as a thief in the night, meaning that you don't expect that. But Peter was reminiscing on these words. Jesus had shared this with him. Um, oh, uh, more than three decades before. He's reminiscing on these words that Jesus that Jesus will come back as a thief in the night, that everything will be burned up. The earth will be utterly destroyed. So in verse 11, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So us as believers, we're living in the last days. The earth is soon to be judged, and all humans are seen to be judged. There's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back and rapture his church. Every day that we live is another day that the Lord has made, but it's another day that we can look back and say we're one day closer to Jesus' return. And because we live in these last days, and because you and I are running out of time, what manner of persons ought we to be? And so it's a wise assessment to look at yourself right now and to examine who you are. What manner of person are you? And, and exteriorly, we can all put on a, a front. And we all could, could put on a front 
uh, uh, toward, toward, towards anyone. We can be fake. We can be plastic towards people. Uh, I think of my experiences uh, um, in drive-through. Uh, I'll be, oh, it's been my pleasure. Here's your Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's been my ple pleasure serving you. And then they'll be like, you too. I'm like, you didn't even listen to a word I said. Or I'll repeat someone's uh, long order that totals to $86. And then I'll say, your name was uh, Sam. And I repeat the order, $86. And then I give them their food. And then they look and they say, I didn't order this. Wait, your name's Sam. You ordered this, this, this. No, I didn't order that. You weren't listening. And they acted like they did. Plastic. But the point I want to bring out to you is that that is just a small example of how we are towards people. That we don't listen to them, we act different towards them, but inwardly we're very different. Uh, inwardly we have all these thoughts. Thoughts of judgment, thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of covetousness, thoughts of hate towards others. Externally we seem all bubbly and lovely, but inwardly we're wretched and wicked. And the point is, is that are you born again? And if you are not today, God wants to put a new heart within you. But if you are born again today, has Jesus washed your feet? When was the last time you yielded so that Jesus can wash your feet? Jesus told Peter, you have no part with me if you don't allow me to wash your feet. I've cleansed you. You are my child. But if you will not allow me to wash your feet continually, you have no part with me. And so Peter exhorts us how we will be, how we should be as believers, as children of God, as people who love the Lord, and as people who have committed themselves to the Lord, and to be disciples of the Lord. How shall we act? What manner of persons ought we to be? Peter first says in verse 11 that we should be those who have holy conduct and godliness, meaning a holy life and a godly life. But how does this happen? How do you have a, a, a holy life and a godly life? It's simple. You must be abiding with the Lord. And to be abiding with the Lord, you must allow Jesus to wash your feet, meaning that you must cleanse yourself. How does a person do this? Psalm 119.9 tells us, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, by obeying the Lord. Cleansing yourself is by obeying the Lord. And in a simple way, it's by repentance. By purifying yourself, by, by allowing Jesus to wash your feet. There are examples in the Bible of people who chose to purify themselves. Jacob, he chose to purify himself and his household by saying this in Genesis 35.2, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourself, and change your garments. So this is one father who decides to commit that there will be no more compromise or sin within his household. He will purify himself, and he will do everything in his power to purify his family, in hopes that they would also make the inward decision to follow Christ follow the Lord. In 1 John 1 9 it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this decision to confess. There's this decision to yield. And that's the only way you can live a holy life and a godly life. But people object. They, they, they say that it's too hard to be holy or it's too hard to be godly. This world is too difficult to be a Christian in. As we mentioned before, Jesus says, as, as in the days of Noah, so will the last days be. It is estimated that there were over 5 
billion people in the days of Noah, and only eight people were followers of Jesus Christ. Now we have more than eight people in here, but imagine eight people in a world of five billion only following Jesus Christ. And they did not have the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we do. They did not have the full uh, revelation of God's word as we do. They were, what we would say, lacking a lot in the days of Noah. But Noah still lived, as the Bible says, perfect in his generation. And so for you to live a holy and godly life, is absolutely possible with everything that God has given us. In 2 Peter 1.3 it says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. God's Word says that God's power has been given to us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And as Jude put it, God can keep you from stumbling, making you perfect, a holy and godly life that is not an option, it is your duty. A holy and godly life is not a, a, a mere choice that you can decide from one day to the next how to live. It is your very life. And the only way we know that you are truly a believer is if your life represents it, that you are walking as Jesus walked. And so for us as believers today, how can we increase in holiness? And as I just mentioned, it's... It's by a refining and purifying work of the Holy Spirit as you yield to Him. And in 2 Corinthians 7.1 it says this, Therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. A fear of God is the answer. A fear of God is, is the first step. And in your fear of the Lord, you will yield yourself to Him. And then it says in verse 12, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which, which righteousness dwells. So how do you look and hasten for the Lord? How do I look and hasten for the Lord? As we just mentioned, Peter gives us that we must live a holy life, a godly life, in obedience to the Lord, abiding with the Lord, yielding to Him, praying, um, having that intimacy and communion with the Lord, and, and fulfilling your purpose and duty to the Lord. And that is by sharing the good news, by serving the Lord in your giftings and your callings, and longing for the day by living a life of praise and worship to Him. That is how we look in hasten. And then Peter says this in verse 13, I mean four, uh, 15, 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. What does this peace refer to? It refers to the saints living at peace with one another. And so the questions that we have to ask ourselves, are we at peace with all our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you at peace with all those around you? Because it says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Be found by Jesus in peace. It's important that you are truly his disciple. If you are truly born again, you will live in peace with all people because it says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
If you will not forgive your neighbor, neither will God forgive you. That's what the Bible says. If you choose to live in bitterness and unforgiveness, you have serious reason to doubt your salvation because you are not walking truly as a born-again child of God because if you are born again, you have a new spirit. If you are born again, you have a new heart and a new heart made by God does not have any room for unforgiveness or bitterness. Then it says, without spot, free from censure, irreproachable, without spot. And what does this mean? Peter says that as a believer, no one should have anything to criticize about your life. There should be nothing that someone can criticize. Because you've chosen to be pure, sanctified, fit for, for, for the master's use. You have, been chosen, you have chosen to be holy, in which you represent God. And you resemble Him in the things that you do. And it all begins with who you hang out with and what you let into your mind and into your heart. And these are decisions you have to make today. And lastly, being blameless. Being blameless, that which cannot be blamed or found fault with. Are you blameless? And I want to turn to Daniel, and you're welcome to turn there with me. And Daniel is a great man of God to study. Uh, he's one of uh, my heroes in all of Scripture. And there's something unique about his story that applies to us today. And it's in chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors, and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thoughts to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. If you want to know what blameless looks like in an individual, it's Daniel. We don't find any record in all of the, the account of Daniel of where Daniel messed up or made a mistake. He was faithful. It says he had an excellent spirit. It says that they could not find any error or fault within him. And so what they had to do, and we won't go into Daniel's story, but what they had to do is make a law that it would be illegal for Daniel to worship Jehovah. For a period of time. And so because they could not find anything wrong with this man. He was completely blameless. They had to attack his faith. And then the story of the Daniel's den. Uh, the lion in the den. And, and Daniel being in there. And, and the rest. That's the story. But the point is. Is that this man was blameless. And the question we have to ask ourselves today. Are we blameless? Are we without spot? Are we at peace with all people? Are we living a holy and godly life? And God wants us to be diligent to make it our aim. He wants us to be diligent to make it our greatest passion and aim and goal in our life that it would be to please the Lord in every area and part of our life. In verse 15 of 2 Peter, going back to 2 Peter, turn with me to verse 15. It says, And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, 
as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to address what Paul was writing. Paul wrote, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. The majority of the books in the New Testament are overwritten by Paul, or at least ought to be spoken to a, a, a writer that, that Paul was with. And so people were already twisting the scriptures shortly after they were written. When you give scriptures to an unbeliever, and, and a, a non-believer who is uh, essentially a scoffer or a mocker, they will twist the scriptures because they do not have the mind of the Spirit. And any scripture that is given to an unbeliever that does not want to repent will be twisted to their own destruction. And Peter wants Paul, wants the believers to know that Paul was writing scripture and that people were twisting them. And this is the thing. Satan is the great deceiver. He comes to deceive. He deceived Eve, and he desires to deceive every single one of us. And and the the uh, in, in, on Thursday nights when we were with the young adults Bible study, we studied in depth how serious deception is. We studied how serious any of us can be deceived. I can be deceived. I remember there were periods in my life where people had deceived me to thinking other things that were not true. And, and being deceived in, in certain areas of Scripture can happen to all of us, for it even happened to me. And it, it happens to all people. And, and we lie to ourselves and we deceive our own selves, that we are, um, that we are, we are living a godly life, but we are uh, actually living contrary to the Word of God. And so what does Peter say? He says, beware. Beware of false doctrine. Beware of these destructive ideas. Beware of these lies. Beware of those who... who who destroy people's lives by misinterpreting the scriptures. And for all of this, for living a holy life, for living a godly life, for living a life in peace without spot and being blameless, and for, for staying away from false doctrine, what is your remedy? What is the way that you can do that? The Bible is clear that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In verse 18 it says this for us. In the last theme that Peter says in his letter, he was going to die very shortly after this. And so the last words that Peter says to these group of Christians, the very last words that we have recorded of Peter himself, the very last words of one of the greatest men who ever walked the face of the earth says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So your remedy, the thing that you should be concerned about the very most, is your growth. You must begin to learn. You must begin to love to learn. A born-again believer loves to learn. You must grow. There's no other way. Growth is not an option. Uh, you must decide to grow or all of the negativity uh, that is mentioned in scripture will be your 
will, will be before you and you will experience just so much uh, 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 of what the Lord does not want for you. He wants you to grow because He understands that your, your life, that your purpose, that, that, that His plan for you is that you would grow. Jesus said that eternal life is to know God. And you only experience life when you're growing in God. You are not living if you are not growing. It's very simple according to the Bible. And the Bible tells us these things. So what I want to share with you all this day, December 31st, 2017, is that God wants each believer to follow what was just said in 2 Peter chapter 3. That we would recognize that we are living in the last days. That we would recognize that God is coming soon and He will judge the earth. And to frame your perspective according to the fact that Jesus is coming quickly and you are running out of time. God wants us to know that we are called to live a certain lifestyle as born-again believers. <coughs> that there are a, there is a manner of life He has called us to live. And this manner of life includes a holy life. It includes godly living. It includes um, the truth that we must have peace with all people, that we would be without spot and we would be blameless. And we can all do this. And we can all do this very simply if we are growing. Growing in our knowledge of the Lord. Growing in the, in the infinite and complete grace God has given us. He has planted us in His grace when we became born again. And we can continue to grow as that small seed that has been planted by the river. So that it can grow fully and to its complete potential as a tree. And that can only be done when we are born again in His grace. And we are choosing to abide in Him. Allowing Him to wash our feet. Staying in His word. Studying His word. Loving His word. And remaining in prayer and intimacy with the Lord. Knowing Him one-on-one. -on -one. Knowing Him because you spend time with Him. Knowing Him because you fellowship with His people. And they redirect you to where God wants you to be. You cannot make a decision for the new year. It's impossible. God never designed you to do so. He designed people to live daily. And God's plan for you is that you would care and be concerned about today. Because that is what Jesus has commanded. Today is the day. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, nor is 2018. But today you can decide to yield to God. Today is the day that you can decide to live holy. Today is the day that you can decide to live godly. Today is the day that you will be a peacemaker. Today is the day. Today is a day that you can be without spot. Today is a day that you can be. Today is a day you can grow in grace. Today is the day you can grow in your knowledge, in a word, in prayer. Tomorrow is not the day, nor is 2018. Your commitment should be for today and only today. In Lamentations 3:22 through 23, it says this. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every year. No, they are new every morning. God gives you grace for the day, not for the year, 
He gives you grace for the day. He gives you his plan for the day. And he may reveal to you the future, but he's asked you to fulfill your duties today. And so today is a day for the unbeliever for salvation. Today is a day for the believer to recognize that you are running out of time and it's time to start yielding to the Lord so that he may wash your feet. And I'd like to share this with you as we conclude. It's our daily portion. You, many of you received it when you came in. And if you did not, before you go out, please pick one up. <laughs> 